don't you take your seats? My name is Kylie. I'm a pastor here at One Heart Church. So great to have uh, the ability to come to church and to gather together as church, isn't it? Normally I say things like turn to the person and give each other a high five or a handshake, but of course we're not going to do that. How about you turn to someone in your aisle and, and do the old eyebrow flick, g'day to people around you. Just raise those eyebrows in greeting. Um, so look, we all do embarrassing things in our lives. I'm just going to share one embarrassing thing. Oh, there's so many things to choose from, but here's one that's happened to me very recently. Let you in to a little bit about what I'm like into my life. So I've got this little car which I bought off my daughter and um, I don't know much about cars. And so I had to drive out of town for um, work and I thought that the car, you know, was, I should check it for whatever, petrol and water and you look at the battery bit and you check that too somehow and, and, and oil, right? And I... Um, I thought, I think it's low on oil. So I went and I got some oil. Bit of a drama on how I got that. But eventually I got my husband. He was home from fishing. We go to the oil place, <laughs> whatever that shop's called, and we buy this five-litre thing of oil and go home. And then I didn't put it in for a few days. So I put one litre in for my trip, and then I got Mike to take me, and we got this five-litre thing. And then I thought, oh, I should put some more oil in, right? So I got the funnel. I was like, man, I'm killing this car stuff. Look at me with the funnel. And I knew how to open the bonnet. That was 10 points there. Another 10 points because I got the stick part to open up. I'm like, I'm practically a mechanic. And then I got the funnel and I was like, wow, I'm totally winning. So I put some oil in and I was like, oh, still, what a thirsty girl. I kept putting some more oil in and put some oil. I took the funnel out. There's heaps of room in that tank. So I put the funnel back in. I was like, man, lucky I'm putting this oil in because it must have really needed oil after the last two litres that I put in. So I put all of the oil in. And then I thought, oh, yeah, Mike said um, to check the dipstick or whatever, which I was so impressive. And I found the dipstick and I wiped it off and I put it in and I'm like, yeah, there's oil in there. Yeah, I knew. I wonder why I'm checking the dipstick because I knew there was oil in because I just put five more litres on top of the other two litres. And then I was so proud of myself and I thought, now I'll get petrol in this little car and it will be so happy, my little car. And I'm such a good car person, right? So I get in the car and I go fill it up with petrol, and it, which was close. And then as I was driving away from the petrol place, I see everybody looking at me in town and then I look in my rear vision mirror and there's smoke billowing out and maybe the car's about to blow up. So I quickly pulled over off the roundabout. Everybody's looking at me and uh, that was embarrassing. But the embarrassment doesn't end there because now I have a car stuck that possibly will it blow up. I don't know. So I had to ring my husband, and start to confess my sins and go, oh, there's something wrong with the car. And he said, did you put oil in? I said, yes. How much oil? All of the oil. And that was embarrassing. And then he said, you're going to have to ring someone. He's out at sea. You're going to have to ring someone and one of the mechanics. And how embarrassing. It turns out I know all of the mechanics in town really well. They're like all the Christians. So then I had to, I left it for two whole days because I was embarrassed. I pretended there was excuses, but for two whole days, I was too busy for all these reasons 
to confess my idiocy, I rang up the mechanic and I was like, hey, put some oil in. It turns out you're not meant to put all of the oil in. How was I to know? Why did they sell five litre bottles of oil? I don't know. Why do they have a massive oil tank that you're not meant to fill to the brim? Uh, so anyway, I told him this, all this oil. He sorted it out for me and, and he was very gracious and said, sometimes people put more than the whole five litre bottle in. And I was thinking, oh, that's because I forgot to tell you I also put the other two one litre bottles in, which he found out when he pulled all the oil out. And he said, there's a lot of oil in there. I think it's more than five litres. Anyway, sort of my problem. How embarrassing. I wish there was a mechanic I did not know in town. I wish I didn't have to tell my husband. I wish I had to check the YouTube thing. I wish I had figured out to use the, the dipstick before I put on the oil. So many regrets from that situation. But we all do embarrassing things, right? Don't tell me I'm the only one. Uh, but embarrassing, normally we can have a bit of a laugh about it, maybe eventually, maybe in a few years. We all do embarrassing things. But there's something else that we can feel and experience that's much, much worse, and it's really a whole different kettle of fish to embarrassment, and that is shame. And that's what I want to talk about today. We've gathered here to come to church to hear the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus is that he has made a way to deal with our sin and shame. Thank God, because there's no way we can get shame off us any other way. Uh, if you have done the wrong thing, if you have what we call sinned, if you are living life right now with this shame in you, this kind of guilty feeling, I don't know, maybe you, like when, when I was at school and the teacher would start to go, um, you know, we're going to sit here until that one person gives that eraser back, I'd, I'd, my face would be going bright red. I didn't even take the eraser, but I'd feel so guilty. You know that feeling? Maybe some of you are even struggling not to show that right now. She's talking about shame. Hopefully no one can see my shame. If you've done the wrong thing and you feel guilt about that, the good news is in Jesus there's a way to get rid of that shame. On the cross he took on our sin and shame to give us forgiveness. He made a way, as we're just singing in those songs this morning, to give us forgiveness. King David in Psalm 32 he wrote this psalm, this song, for all of Israel to sing. So it's not like an individual feeling that no one else has ever sung. This is for everyone in Israel and throughout all the ages, the rest of time for us to sing. So it's a common feeling. This is his feeling of shame. When I refused to confess my sin, when I kept it inside, my bones turned to powder my words became all day long groans. The pressure never let up. What a tangible kind of visceral image of shame, isn't it? We feel this pressure and it makes us kind of seem to have to stay on our toes all the time. What lie did I tell this person compared to that person in order to keep my sin or my shame hidden? It always is trying to blackmail us. Keep that stuff hidden. Don't let anyone know. Tells us all sorts of lies, shame does. Like, if they know, they won't love me. If they know, I'll be kicked out. If they know, I, I won't be accepted anymore. Or other ridiculous lies it tells us, like, 
You've got this under control. You don't even need to ask for anyone's help. You'll be over this in a couple of days because you're totally in control of this problem and you can easily sort it. You don't need to tell anyone about it. It's always just trying to keep us hidden. But what do you think life is going to be like for you if you live with this kind of guilt and shame? You don't need to have ever set foot in this church before to know that shame is corrosive, isn't it? Like a battery acid, this is one thing I know, battery acid will, leak, will leach away at, what, metal or something? <laughs> I don't know it. I do know that shame will corrode away your freedom, your honesty in relationships, and your ability to be just honest before God. And we want to deal with that today. Jesus said, I want to give you life and life to the fullest. He does not want you to leave this place. If there is some secret sin or shame that you're carrying around, we're going to have an opportunity to just deal with that today. Let Jesus forgive us and leave not carrying that thing that we brought in. Amen. Isn't that great? But there is a different kind of shame as well, isn't there? Uh, It feels kind of the same, a guilty, embarrassing, I've got to cover up and hide sort of feeling. But it's when we've done nothing wrong. We haven't done anything wrong and yet we're still stuck with the guilty, shameful feeling. It's less to do with what I've done and more a feeling of shame just about who I am. Maybe it's about your body, like your physical body, and you just wish you could just hide it and that no one could see it. Maybe even hide from mirrors in your own house and just don't don't want even you to be able to see your body. Or maybe there's shame attached to um, like associations that you have. You know, your family, you're ashamed of them or friends or your workplace or things in your life. Like people are ashamed of a car or ashamed of their job or ashamed of losing a job. Or our conditions, our illnesses, mental illness. Why is there so much shame attached to that? We just want to hide it. No, everything's fine. Don't look over here. Look over there. There's a peacock. Don't look at me. I'm completely fine. There's so much shame. We just want to hide our illnesses and our mental illnesses in particular, don't we? There's shame attached to when people are victims of abuse. They just want to hide it all the time. Shame is like this pressure, this blackmail saying, don't let anyone know. They won't be able to love you. They won't be able to help you. Everything will go worse if they know. And the reason that we feel or experience this shame when it isn't our fault, when we haven't done anything wrong, is revealed to us in God's word. We can understand why this occurs. And we see it right at the very beginning of the human experience in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we see that God created men and women good And they were in a good, harmonious relationship with each other and with God and with the environment. They cared for the earth and the animals and each other. It says they were naked and unashamed. But it all changed when they took that fruit, when they pushed through that limitation that God had put on them, when they sinned, when they had done the wrong thing. And then shame comes into the picture 
Adam says, I I was naked and I was afraid. I was ashamed, so I hid. Their eyes were opened to the knowledge of good and evil, and it was twofold, this shame. First, that, oh, no, I've done the wrong thing. I've sinned, and I have to hide from God. And second, the other person can do the, the wrong thing. And I have to hide with them, from them. So they scrambled for clothes. Adam scrambling to cover himself up, cover any weakness so that Eve couldn't hurt him. And equally, Eve is looking at Adam and saying, well, he might hurt me now. He has the power to do what seems good for him but is evil to me. And so I've got to cover up. So even when something is not our fault, not our sin at all, we want to hide our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities. It started right at the very beginning of sin, not our sin, but the ability of evil and others to harm us. So shame is a protective mechanism. It starts out as a protective mechanism. It's something in us to try and protect us from being hurt. But we can't just live there. A protective mechanism, a mechanism, we've got heaps of them in our lives, like in our bodies, you know, feeling cold is a protective mechanism. If you go outside in the pouring rain and it's zero degrees and you're in a t-shirt, you have a protective mechanism in you to start to feel cold and you'll feel miserable and maybe you'll cry and you'll feel shivery and it's very uncomfortable and it's meant to move you inside to get warm and dry, isn't it? Shame is a protective mechanism if we have done the wrong thing and we feel this guilt shame. It's meant to move us to change and repent and and be sorry and restore the relationship. And the Bible says that that is good. There is no regret in that godly sorrow which leads us to repentance and leads us to salvation. So if it is our own sin, we can go to Jesus. We can get forgiveness. But this other type of shame, that's where we really get stuck because we've got nowhere to go. We're ashamed about just my own body or just who I am. Where where are you going to go? There is nowhere else to go, is there? So shame starts as a protective mechanism, but it can never heal us. It only causes us to hide and to isolate more. And the answer is, It's only found in Jesus because he can bring healing. The answer is not just to sit down and hide forever after and cover ourselves up and never be honest in relationship again. And the answer is not shamelessness to abandon all sense of shame and say, I'm not ashamed of anything. I have a complete shamelessness life. That's actually just another way of covering up our vulnerabilities. The problem is not your body It's not your car, it's not your job, it's not your lack of job, it's not your illness or condition or your family or your um, anything to do with your life. The problem is spiritual. Those things are skin deep, but shame is deeper. I know that because, and you know it too, if you have a person in your life who feels ashamed of their own body, you can tell them 20 hundred times a day that they are beautiful and perfect the way they are. And do they ever listen? They can't even hear it, can they? You see their face kind of scrunch up and they'll turn away. I can't even listen to that. 
because those words are just skin deep and the shame is deeper. Shame is to do with the spiritual problem. Our eyes are open to the broken human condition and it requires a spiritual resolution which is found in Jesus as we've been singing about this morning. Why Jesus? Why is Jesus the only one who can do what he can do? Because Jesus is God. In the garden, it says they scrambled to cover themselves up with leaves and things. And then when God found them, he covered them in clothing. He gave them proper protective clothing. This is not God being complicit in their shame. It's not God confirming their shame. It's not God saying, yes, you should cover up. You're revolting. Cover up. Not at all. God is making an allowance because if he said, oh, you don't need those clothes. Take it off. That's just skin deep words, isn't it? That's just a platitude. He knew that he could cover them now as an allowance, cover them in dignity until he could deal with truly deal with that brokenness with his healing, which he did on the cross. In the Bible, in John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the Word of God. And listen to this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. In the beginning, the Word, that's Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is God. In verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I can just hear the echo of Adam in that saying like, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, at last I can see God. In Jesus, the visible God of the invisible God. We can see God in Jesus. And God is so unashamed of the human body and the human life and the human condition that God became part of his creation, became a human being forever after. He so loved us and so identified with us and so wants us to identify with him that he became one of us. So there is no shame in being a human being. There is no shame on the human body or the human life or condition ever again, even right now in heaven. Jesus is a human being from now until forever. He is a human and God. So there's no more shame on the human Life, And we don't have this great high priest up there in the clouds looking down on us, not understanding why we're so weird and we do such crazy things. We have Jesus who was a person like all of us who experienced the, the human condition and all of our weaknesses just like we did, except he never sinned. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, all of our sin... And the effects of sin, all of our shame, was placed upon him. It comes full circle. As Adam and Eve were clothed on the cross, Jesus was stripped. And so casually, it says the, um, they stripped him of his clothing and, and because he had this 
tunic, which was all one piece, it was seamless. They decided to gamble for it. So right there at the foot of the cross, Jesus could probably hear them. You know, he's on the cross and they were just passing some sort of gambling thing for his clothing. He was stripped. That's what shame always wants to do for us. Take away our clothes, expose us, humiliate us. Jesus experienced that himself on the cross and then he broke it. He broke the power of sin and shame in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In Colossians 2.13, that will come up on the screen, Jesus deals with our sin and shame in both ways that I've been talking about. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And then on the cross, God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. The next verse says, he disarmed spiritual authorities because he had victory over them on the cross. He disarmed shame, took away its power, broke its power. So the, the posture of a Christian is not this. It's not, oh God, I'm a worm coming before you. I'm, please don't punish me. I'm too terrible to come into your presence. That is never the posture of a Christian. The posture of a Christian is this. My, you're the lifter of my head. You make me stand free and tall. I'm not held down by anything. I'm confident to come into your presence, Jesus, because you have released me from all that shame and guilt. I'm not worthy to come in your presence, but you make me worthy because of your cross and you give me new life. Our arms are just lifted high. We're not held back by any burden, confident in his presence because of his love for us. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The joy set before him was not going to the cross. The cross was unspeakable, evil, torturous, terrible, horrific. That wasn't the joy set before him. The joy set before him is not just the resurrection. If he wanted, if his joy was just to be alive again, he didn't have to go to the cross. The joy set before him was that you and I would be free, that you and I would be able to have healing in our relationships with each other, that you and I would be able to be in a friendship with God again, that sin and shame won't hold us down anymore. That joy, imagine how big that joy must have been to help Jesus to endure the cross. We can lift our arms up high because he lifted his arms on the cross. For the joy of knowing that you can have peace and forgiveness in your life, he endured the cross, despising its shame, scorning its shame. That word in the Greek means to be little, to make it small, to throw it away, to make it of no account, to actively insult it. Isn't that an amazing picture? Jesus took our shame on the cross and he actively insulted it and he broke its power and said, get off my child and never come back. You have no power here anymore. He made it of no effect. His victory on the cross overcomes 
shame. So the cross is this great exchange. It says in the Bible in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. There's this exchange that happens at the cross. When Jesus died and was resurrected, uh, in 2 Corinthians 15, when it talks about the resurrection, it says what was started in shame is risen and ends up in glory. So he takes on the cross, he takes our sins and he gives us forgiveness. He takes our, our punishment and he gives us healing. He takes our shame and he gives us glory so that we're not afraid and scrambling to cover up our weaknesses anymore. We can even, like Paul says, we can boast in our weaknesses knowing that God fills in all those weak parts with his strength and his glory. Even if it's not to do with your wrongdoing, if you're feeling that shame today, I know that Jesus wants to wash that off you and do that exchange with you as he did on the cross. Let's have the musos back up here. He disarmed our spiritual enemies on the cross and he put them to shame. And for us, he gives glory. This is actually one of my verses that I just say over and over and over and over and over my life. Uh, when we had started our time of isolation and not being allowed to go on into churches together, I put a question on Facebook one day about what is your kind of go-to Bible verse. And out of the questions that we'd had over Facebook, not many people answered this. And I felt really sad about that. And I hope that it's because you missed the post not that it's a reflection on you don't have a Bible verse to go to. Because the Bible is the language that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us on just a daily basis. And this verse is my daily basis verse. It comes from Psalm 25. All whose hope is in the Lord will never be put to shame. All whose hope is in the Lord will never be put to shame. It's only a few words. If you can remember any verse, try and remember that. I say it to myself before I go to work and when I encounter people who are difficult or, um, you know, when I'm looking at the bills, anything, sometimes when I just have a bad hair day, all who look to you, Jesus, will never be put to shame. Romans 10, 11, it says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Psalm 31, I think it's verse 5, it says, those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. Those who look to God for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. And that's why we call it the good news. The gospel is the good news. If you come to Jesus, you will never be disgraced. You will never be exposed and humiliated. You will never be dishonoured. You will never again be put to shame and blush with shame. 
Let's stand. And let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer. We've got a little while. Let's just take a few minutes to pray. And um, so feel free to close your eyes if you want. You know, the presence of God is here, enthroned in our praises. He inhabits our praises. Just put yourself in that understanding that the presence of Jesus is here with us right now. And if you have come in today carrying a guilty weight, that weight of sin, shame that you've done something wrong, don't leave without letting Jesus deal to that right now. Just take this moment and be really honest in your own heart. You can close your eyes and and just spend that moment just being honest in your own heart, honest before Jesus and start to pray just in your own heart, in your own mind, just start to pray, Jesus, forgive me, take this shame, wash it away. We thank you, Jesus, that as you went to the cross, you made a way for us to deal with sin and shame by exchanging it with you for forgiveness. You said, my blood is spilt for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, we give you our guilt right now and we receive your forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, you are throwing our sins into the sea of your forgetfulness and you will never bring them up to accuse us of them again. And we receive your forgiveness right now. If you've been forgiven by Jesus, why don't you just start to thank him in your own words. We thank you, Jesus, as we receive your forgiveness. There's nothing we've had to do for it. You've done the work for us. We release that guilt into your hands now. We no longer have to hide from others and hide in your presence. You clothe us with dignity. We thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take another moment now and I know there are some people here who have that other sense of shame in their lives. Maybe even as I've been talking through the Scriptures, you've been feeling that sense of condemnation coming up, that sense of pressure, that sense of blackmail, that something is just wrong with you. You carry the sense of shame about just who you are. Jesus wants to release that today. Nobody's watching. Everyone has their eyes closed. Just take a moment now and let Jesus start to work on that. You know I can tell you you're worthy. I can tell you you're a good person. I can tell you you're beautiful. And I know that you won't listen. So I want to do something different today. I want to ask Jesus to show you himself right now. You can ask Jesus, show me yourself, Jesus start to do that work of exchange. Come on, let's pray. You can lift your voices or just listen as I pray. Lord Jesus, we just see ourselves as though we're at the foot of your cross right now and we surrender that shame to you. We just lay it down at your feet right now at the foot of your cross. That shame which would bow us down and make our faces red and be like a stone in our chest and a vice in our throat. We just lay it down now. And we receive your mercy and we receive your healing. We 
look to Jesus and we find no condemnation at all, at all, at all, at all. There is no condemnation at all in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are the lifter of our heads. You're taking our shame and giving us glory. You're washing away that shame right now. You're starting to do that work where you're taking that shame out of us and replacing it with your healing. We thank you, Jesus, for washing away that shame and that you're straightening our backs and that you're making us to stand up straight and that you're taking away the shadow of shame from our face and replacing it with your radiance on our faces as you wash away that shame which has no in our lives anymore. I believe that God wants us to start to change our posture. We're going to sing this song through again that we were singing Graves into Gardens, which is just all about that great exchange. He takes our shame and He gives us His glory, takes our sin, takes our burdens and He gives us His peace. So let's change our posture now as God is lifting us up. If you feel comfortable, raise your hands. Lift your faces up. Let's declare that He is the only one who can do this work in us and that He is the one who will give us the great exchange.